Hi, this is Hope. This is Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Radio. Welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. This is Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay, and this is not episode 81, like we thought last time, like you thought last time. No, that yeah, was not episode 80. I, I screwed it up. This is this is somewhere in the mid-70s, um, but anyway. I'm, we've glad got a, we, I'm glad we didn't like produce some massively awesome Yeah, with show. all this 80s music and like <laughs> yeah. actually do that idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we've got a rare treat today. We're, we're joined by an ultramarathon champion. <laughs> Um, his name is, is Douglas Hay. You yeah. came through on your 24-hour, 100-mile guarantee, and then actually won the race. I did you win better. I actually hit 100 miles in 23 hours. Right. And then you ran one extra lap. And then I ran an extra lap and, uh, and won the race. And um, I got a, a comment on the Instagram photo from some lovely No Meat Athlete radio listener who said... Congratulations for following through on your promise. Hey, all right. <laughs> yeah. Someone in Oklahoma City knew about that promise too. I was with them when I got the text that you won, and uh, and they were like, "Wow, he did it." <laughs> that's great. It was really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's awesome. We'll talk a lot about about that. Um, I should mention though, Doug, that I've mean to talk to you about this. So, like, first with the running coach thing, you brought a little bit of credibility to the podcast. <laughs> now with actually winning a race, I mean, I think this is sort of getting out of hand. Well, I, we don't. We don't want that. We we want to be <laughs> the people who they can depend on to be idiots. Well, yeah, maybe. I may. I'll, I'll tone it down a little. Next bit. Next time, you know. slow it down. <laughs> don't go out there trying to win races. <laughs> I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to upstage you as much as I can. Good. That's good. Take over this thing. That's fantastic. So anyway, um, we are we are having a rare beer on the podcast to celebrate a nice IPA, and. Speaking of that, I want to tell you a story about Oklahoma City, where they uh, I was I visited Oklahoma City and I visited Denver this past weekend uh, slash week. Ran with the Denver group, uh, Martha, Anya, and Samit are their leaders, and they've done a really great job of uh, bringing them together. And I think they're going to be one of our kind of next. You know, we have these these handful of ones who have just really sort of outshone the others, but just have done a really great job in kind of unexpected places. Uh, but I, we have a handful of ones who we've kind of identified as like the next crop of that, and Denver is <laughs> definitely one of them. And then Robert Keek showed up, which is fun, with his girlfriend Karen. Oh, nice. So uh, we went out, ran, went to a potluck, and really had a good time. Then I flew to Oklahoma City, where I got off the plane, and they were like, welcome, Matt. We're having tornadoes now. <laughs> and and anyway, the, the reason this is related to beer is because they gave me a, an IPA kind of little gift uh, that was called F5, which is a class of tornadoes. But... It was like it's crazy how they treat tornadoes there. It's like it's a a, a big like here East Coast. If you if we have a tornado warning or watch, people don't really care that much about it. It's just like I mean, you, I guess you sort of look out for it, but no one really. I don't know. No one acts differently. Really. No one goes to a room in their house where there are no windows. I mean, it says you should do that, but like no one actually gets does in it. the bathtub. And the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, no one does that. But I think there they really do that. And uh, this had been like a hyped up storm, like a snowstorm on the East Coast, hyped up for a week and. We went out to a bar and like just it was it was packed because people were were there for the tornado and it was but like people were actually scared about it they were they were it was like everyone was a little bit down that it had to be tonight when I was there that like big tornado time and like we had it was like it was just weird it was so totally, totally different it's called Tornado Alley I think and uh, it was an experience but anyway huh. they were awesome the weekend was awesome I'm glad you're safe I'm glad everybody else was safe too 
Yeah. Or I guess it never hit, right? Never hit. There were some that touched down in, in Texas, I think. But I'm assuming there weren't any, any major fatalities or anything. But, like, people had died a couple years ago in some nearby hurricane. Yeah. So, anyway, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out uh, to, to that group and the amazing thing they've done. I mean, in, in Oklahoma City, of all places, where you would just think would be the worst place to start an Omid athlete group, <laughs> has turned out to be one of the best. And uh, That's great. certainly because of Gina is one of their leaders, and she, or really the leader, uh, she has done a tremendous amount of, of great work there. John, another core member, drove me around all weekend, which was awesome. And it just was a great, great weekend. I feel like they, it seemed like so many of them in that group said that before this, they didn't know any other vegans in person because it's Oklahoma City, fairly big place, and almost nobody is vegetarian or vegan. Uh, and now this group is like, a lot of them also said that they, they hang out with each other more than they do their previous friends. Like, <laughs> so we uprooted their friendships, which is good. <laughs> But I just thought that was amazing that that sort of thing happened, that those kind of connections happened. I mean, that's exactly what uh, what I what I wanted when we started these things. So anyway, just shout out to them and the Denver group, of course, uh, for a really great few days. But let's get back to your race. Uh, I'm I'm excited to hear the details about this because it's it's a race that I did as a 12 hour version a couple of years ago, and I, I thought it was really a great time. Wish I could have been there to join you for the 24 for some of it. Uh, but you won. I mean, that's that's awesome. Like, we don't win races. How do we... <laughs> I do, man. I guess you do. Yeah. I sh- you should start your no, own podcast. Was... <laughs> oh, wait, you did. It was, it was, uh, I knew there was a chance. Just looking at past history, if I, if I could do the 100 miles, then I knew that I would be fighting for a podium finish. Um, but it was, you know, a huge surprise to, to do so well and to, to actually, when it it was um i guess for, if you hadn't listened to pre- the previous episode where we talked about it it's a 5k loop that you complete as many times as you can over the course of 24 hours my goal was to do 100 miles which was 32 loops and plus one mile mm-hmm. um and i made it 33 loops under the cutoff and actually had a little bit of time to spare before the 24 hours ran up but didn't uh didn't go out for a 34th loop just sat back and you I, knew you had the win in the bag I knew I had the win in the bag. I knew there was no way, no no way that anyone could catch me. So I opened a beer at 10 a.m. or at 9:30 a.m. Nice. So the second so, place guy ran by, and you were just there waving was, your beer. I at was him. literally at the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> I cross I crossed the the end of the loop where you check in, and uh, Katie had gotten a, a like a camping chair ready for me and a beer and so i just sat down right <laughs> at the finish line and watched the other people come in behind me <laughs> that's great taunting yeah. i hope oh yeah totally <laughs> uh, that's awesome i mean that's that's amazing um i have a million questions i don't i don't want to get too because we do want to talk about an actual topic in this in this episode that is helpful do, to people yeah. which is running in the heat which turned out you said to be a big factor in your race mm-hmm. um before we get there though let's see i'm wondering a couple of things that I think a lot of people probably are. Nutrition. What did you do for that? Yeah, nutrition was probably, this was by far the best uh, race nutrition-wise that I've ever had. After my 100K six, seven weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, but I had a lot of issues and a lot of stomach issues. And so that was something that I was really focused on. Um, and because of the nature of this course where you're looping by in the aid station every three miles, I was able to really focus on that and eat regularly throughout. So I actually I ate um, Cliff Cliff Bar gummies uh, the entire time. I had um, one or two a loop, so every three miles the entire time. But and then supplemented that with a lot of um, whole foods or more natural foods. Um, pita and hummus was a big one. 
I had a lot of vegetable broth. I had some miso broth uh, in the middle of the night and um, soup. I had this um, ginger sweet potato soup that was heated up. And actually some veggie dogs, which were grilled on, on a little nice. mini grill there, which was kind yeah, of good. I could see that being good. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, pull up, and Katie had grilled me a veggie dog and put it in a bun. And then just, like, <laughs> carved the whole thing down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really yummy and tasty. Uh, and then, good. And then as far as I, I started drinking calories, I drank Keed um, and a little bit of Gatorade because that was what they had on the course. Um and and salt a lot of salt which i have not done too much of in the past and we can talk a little bit about that when we talk about the heat because mm, i think that that right, was right. a big part of it um but i was taking salt tablets salt capsules um, mm-hmm. which is something i think unless you're doing ultras or iron mans and stuff like that you probably don't know that right. people actually people take would... salt but um, yeah that ended up being a, a big thing for me good yeah we should talk about that with the heat so you did not pee blood, is what you're saying. I did not pee there blood, was no... which was great. Okay. I yeah, I, um, I didn't really have any major stomach issues. I did, uh, I did vomit on the very last lap. <laughs> so you know, it's like hardly anything to go. I just started running, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Well, <laughs> I think my body was like giving me the middle finger for <laughs> going out for that right. final lap." Um, but other than that, and once it happened, it you know it didn't. I was fine. Other than that, you know, my stomach really uh, behaved itself pretty well. It didn't um, flip too much, and I was able to continue eating. There were lots of times when things didn't taste good. You know, your taste buds shift significantly over the course of a race like that. Um, so at first, I was eating a lot of sweet foods, and then I needed a lot of salty foods. And I couldn't even bear the thought of of something else sweet. Um, hmm. But even even th- something like Numino's, uh, you know, I ate a couple of those during the first maybe six or seven hours and then after that just... yeah i mean the gummies the whole time i'm shocked that you were able to do that I, yeah I, I get tired of that thing after those three hours you know i'm done with the gummies i think because i stuck to the gummies instead of the gels right uh, which normally i do gels until i can't do it anymore and it doesn't last all that long but um i had a couple gels at the very beginning but other than that i did gummies and for some reason that just was able to go yeah. a lot better for me hmm. um Interesting. And, and you know and it, they're not good for you or anything like that but you know they're engineered to for this very reason and, and sure um, so what was uh what was the vibe like you know when you picture a race and winning a race you think of a <laughs> of a chase and you know you know how far behind you the, mm-hmm. the other people are or how far behind you are and you know this thing that comes down to the water like with the loops was that was that different oh yeah it was it was definitely different because we're passing people all the time you're in this small circle so there are a lot of people who are going much slower than you that you're lapping several times throughout the event and then there there are also relay teams and there are 12 hour racers who are going much faster than me i mean people were just blazing past me especially the relay people who were doing you know three or four laps were just right hammering out some quick miles <laughs> right uh, i kept wanting to stick my foot out and trip them. <laughs> but you know can't do that um uh, you know, so I really had no idea where I was, how I was placing, because I didn't know who else was really running the 24-hour event. Um, once it got nighttime and got dark, it quieted down a lot. The vibe quieted down because a lot of the 12 hours had were no longer running, and so it was just the 24-hour and the relay people. Um, right. And it was just a lot slower. Uh, and, you know, I, I had no idea. And then around mile 80 or 85, my dad uh, said, Doug, I think I think you might be in the lead. 
and this was maybe like four o'clock in the morning or something, five o'clock in the morning. And, and it was like a huge disappointment to me, <laughs> which is opposite of what he expected. It's opposite <laughs> of what everyone else expected. But at that point I was, I was literally counting down the miles to 100 right. and I was going to stop. stop no matter what I was, you know, if I had an hour and a half left, it didn't matter. Right. All I wanted to do was hit a hundred that's all I had in me. And when he told me I was in the lead, it was like this, it was like this, oh man, now I have something else to worry about kind of thing. And uh, it was not a motivator. But but he didn't know for sure. He had he had kind of spoken with the people who were keeping track of the laps, but no one really knows where people are out on the course. They just knew that how many laps you had finished. Um, and, and I just kind of kept going and just said, I'm not going to worry about it. And then at mile 93, I passed somebody who was in the lead apparently and they asked what lap I was on and we were on the same lap and I passed them and I knew that there was only one other person on my lap um at that point and and so then it was and then things kind of started to shift a little bit because then I actually knew that I was in the lead I saw that guy he was walking right. and I was running um and and it started shifting a little bit I got a little more excited and towards the end it really was the whole crew was monitoring where all the other the the other two people who were pretty close to me when they were coming in to the to the 10 area to mm-hmm. finish the lap and when they were going out and they were, they were clocking everything. And during lap 31, uh, no, I'm sorry, lap 32. So the last full lap that I knew I had to do to reach a hundred, um, my cousin comes running backwards on the course and he goes, Doug, you're five or 10 minutes up on this guy and he's looking really strong. <laughs> you need to move. And it was like, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> just right. like that. Everything switched. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I told, I said, run back and tell everybody to have my water ready, and I'm just gonna grab it and go. You know, <laughs> so, so then the chase was on, or you know, <laughs> or you know, it's kind of looking over my shoulder, and, right? Um, and I ran that very last lap with Katie, and uh, she was carrying a phone, and and my the rest of my crew was gonna text her um, when he had left the lap, so that we knew exactly how much time I had ahead, right? Um, and and we knew I was about ten minutes out, and and they they actually spied on him. It's like kind of, I hope he's not listening to this because it's very manipulative. But they spied on him and saw that he when he hit the 100-mile mark, he decided not to go on. Ah, so, okay. um, so that's why I knew for sure that I was, uh, right. I had the win. Nice. Um, so it was good. When I got the, when, when I hit 100 miles, I uh, paused and, and Katie and, and my dad was there, gave them a big hug and started kind of, tearing up a little bit it was like this huge release and mm-hmm. then then when we got the text that um that i had won or that, that no one was going to catch me it was like another it was kind of another pause right, and right, you know, right. it was like i never won a race i never I thought know. about <laughs> what it would feel like to to win an ultra marathon especially one that you had you know worked for 23 hours really hard to to pull off right so. cool so i'm i imagine people will want to know this because uh, I'm curious myself, but you being someone who was into the adventure of these races and like you know you taking like your first one was was uh, MMT right? Mm-hmm. Massanutten Mountain Trails. Yes, yeah. uh, which is which is a very hard race. One you did because because it was so difficult and just one that was exciting to you. Whereas I'm like the type who would be happy to do a loop, you know, mm-hmm. um, Umstead, which is eight, twelve and a half mile loops because it just seems like a very <laughs> practical, easy way to organize things. Um, but in general, people are just when they hear about these things that are a three mile loop or even shorter. Some of them, they say, "What? What about the boredom? Like, isn't it? Don't you just go crazy doing around, yeah. around and around?" So, did you have any of that, or did you find, like I found that one to be? I didn't mind the boredom at all. It was like I, I kind of enjoyed just 
you can forget about it after one loop. You just know what everything is. So you yeah. just do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of both. I think um, I was really concerned about that because I do most of my runs are I try to be as adventurous as possible, even on like a weekday run. Um, and I was I was really concerned about that. But after well, so I'd say about after about ten laps. So I'd been out there for uh, about thirty miles. Um, I started having my first low point, low mental point. And, I, and a few of the sections of the trail that were these kind of wide grassy areas that were just kind of awkward to run on, just not very attractive, actually started making me mad. I was I, feeling anger mm-hmm. inside of me every time. You I, want to punch the race director? Yeah. I've had that before. <laughs> yeah. Not was, for that reason, but just... Yeah. You know, just like, why why on earth would we do this? And, and <laughs> why would he design it this way? And, and I was like feeling this terrible anger inside of me. Um, that that kind of passed once I got over that, that low point. Um and what I found, especially at the end, was the benefits of something like this that were were pretty massive. Because early on, there are there are three hills hills that are, um, you know, that are walk. You should probably walk uh, if you're doing something like this. And uh, I established early on. I established all right. This is the tree or the marker that I'm going to start walking at, and this is the tree or the marker that I need to start running again at. And I was able to be really consistent with that pretty much the entire race so um towards the end when i really didn't want to start running again or when i wanted to start walking a little earlier um you know knowing that all right this is where you have to go before you can start walking and this is you know just kind of forcing yourself to hit these these mile point milestones um where it was really valuable i think and that that kept me moving a lot better because i was able to uh you know because i knew the course and because i could say well, you haven't walked this this hill the last twenty laps. Why do you have to walk it now? Kind of thing. Right. Uh, whereas if it was a new course, then you know, mm-hmm. you're like, well, this you know, this hill is pretty bad. Right. So, right. Makes so sense. I think it was good, and the monotony really wasn't that bad, aside from that one really low point. Um, it was it was nice. Yeah. It was nice good. to be able to count on the fact that I could see people so regularly. And right. Right. I would definitely do it again. Yeah, I like the race. I would like to do that again too. All right. So let's shift the heat, because you mentioned the heat was an issue, and we do want to talk about heat uh, with the time we've got left here. Uh, so how hot How hot was it? It got up to about 80 degrees, and it was really humid. Um, it, we had an evening rainstorm for about an hour, where it rained pretty hard, and then it just, after that, that cooled things down, but it got so humid. There was, throughout the entire race, there was never a time when I wasn't just dripping with sweat. Right. So when I did it, I think it was in a different month. It was in June, I mm-hmm. think, a couple years ago. And it got up to like 95 degrees. And that wow. was that was when I, I did, because I've always been a runner who I thought liked heat. Like I, I just feel like I do fairly well or just don't, my performance doesn't suffer as much in heat as other people's does. So I just feel like I like it. Uh, but that day I I had pretty severe chills after after halfway of through the race, six hours or so. Mm-hmm. Every time I would stop at, at the aid station uh, and then start up again, I would begin kind of shivering. Yeah. So I think that was my body temperature being exceedingly high for a long period and then suddenly would plummet so just couldn't really stabilize and then i remember after that race for the whole night sleeping i was going through the same thing would get really hot in the covers really cold if i would come out yeah so uh nothing like that i don't think you experienced in this one no but but still 80 i mean over over that long of a race is is a big deal yeah especially because you know we're coming out of the cold months and you know, haven't right. had time to train in the heat. And, and really in June too, you probably hadn't had much time to train in 95 degrees. That's Right. Which is an interesting side note uh, that Jason Fitzgerald kind of made me aware of. And that's that most runners 
if you if you really want to run a PR, do a fall race because you train throughout the heat and then you run generally it's going to be cooler than most of what your training was in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people kind of I mean, because the other race season is spring, a lot of people have the opposite that they train throughout this cold, like you saying, and then and then you go out and run on a hot day, and you're really not that prepared for that sort of thing. Right. So what uh what did you do in particular? Like, did you did you have any strategies or anything about it? Yeah. Well, I think there are a couple major concerns with the heat um, for me anyway, and that's uh, the first one is hydration, of course, uh, and then also your heart rate because it'd be, when it's hotter, your heart rate is automatically going to uh, increase, and you're going to be putting out more effort um, for the same amount of of gain. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I was really trying to monitor my heart rate. I didn't have a heart rate monitor or anything like that, but just monitor my breathing and, and make sure that I wasn't um, my heart wasn't beating too fast. I wasn't putting out too much effort to be able to s- sustain it for the whole 24 hours. You know, so I was, I was taking good care with that, and then to cool myself. Um, you know, I was really trying to drink mostly just drink a whole lot of water. I was drinking a bottle per uh, per lap, which I know you and I kind of disagree a little bit about about drinking philosophies and, and hydration philosophies. Um, but I was I was sticking pretty much to a bottle per lap and making sure that it was cold water and that it was refreshing water. And then the other the other big thing that during the heat of the day, especially, was. Uh, Katie would dunk a bandana and, and, and soak it in ice water and then give that to me at the beginning of each lap and I'd put that around my neck and mm-hmm. it just significantly cooled me off even though it was a dark blue bandana and you know probably absorbed heat through the sunlight just having that cold uh, ice cold um, cloth on, on my back of my neck just felt so good and refreshing yeah that's that brings up an interesting topic because there are several of these sort of tricks you can do that will in in some way kind of trick your body into mm-hmm. thinking that it's not as hot as it is like that because that doesn't significantly change your core temperature, core temperature right? right yeah but it it tricks you into feeling you're like you're cooler than you are <laughs> so i want to talk about that in a minute i think first let's just because people do ask about this a lot and with jason fitzgerald from from strength running and run your bq this question comes up fairly often in the summer months uh people will ask us how do you train in the heat and he he knows way more than i do about this so i've learned quite a bit from his advice um but the, the main thing to keep in mind is that y- your performance is going to suffer in the heat in general. It's just, I mean, that's a fact. Like you said, your exertion is higher for a given level of output. So it's, you can't do what you otherwise could do. So that's really the number one thing is just expect that you're going to do less than, than you would. So if you train at certain paces and suddenly it's hot out, or if you train at certain heart rates and suddenly it's hot out, then you're not going to be able to do what you could do before. So don't try to go do that don't try to put in a work and don't try to make your workout way harder because it's hot out and try to get the exact same thing done as you did before right except that it's harder and and be okay with that and that's another thing that has happened kind of like as a psychological issue for me is it gets it starts to be warm out which kind of increases the motivation to run so then you start running more and and just more miles more frequently and you realize that it's harder than you think especially as it's like that big first hot day comes and you suddenly, at least for me, I feel like suddenly uh, just kind of get down. Like, wow, I'm really in bad shape right now. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a really important thing is to understand that if you're not used to training in the heat, it is really hard when it gets hot. It's it just that's that's a big part of it. Granted, it's it's better to be – the way to prepare for heat isn't so much go run in heat as much as just be more fit. I've read an article from Running Times, I think, about that, that said something about the people who are in bad water uh, – you're generally just going to see improved performance 
by being in better shape. It's not mm-hmm. like you can yes, you can you can adjust the heat, you can train in heat or I think some of them like put the put the dryer hose up to their treadmill room. So they just make it super hot. By the way, I did hot yoga in uh in Oklahoma City oh, really? for the first time. It was really hot and I was so sweaty, but it was it was actually really fun. Huh. Uh yeah, I did it with Gina and John. Cool. But anyway, uh side note. Um you can you can do all that stuff. You can you can do things in the heat to prepare for, it, but none of that is going to be as good as improving your fitness, right. which you could do in the cold, right? You can, you can do really hard workouts, improve your VO2 max mm-hmm. or whatever. So that's that's a really important yeah. thing. Is just I think, being that, more fit. I think that that's a really important thing for just about any challenge in running or any challenge in fitness at all. Altitude, heat, um, hills, you know, whatever. If you don't have those things to train with, if you don't, if you're not around them all the time, then really just improving your overall fitness is going to make those things a lot more manageable. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. So. I mean, so the general lesson, I guess, is besides besides that, which is a great one, is that you should expect less. Like, be okay that it's hot out, and if you're not used to that, if you're not fit, because you haven't been training in the off season, it's going to be hard. And I've I've at times let this get me really down. I'm like, wow, I'm I'm just this this race that I'm training for isn't going to go that well, and I I just get down early. But like, realize you will get used to it. You'll gain your fitness. You'll get used to the heat, and understand that at first it's going to be harder, and it's going to stay harder. It's hard to train in the heat compared to when it's not not hot so keep that in mind but the topic that you that you mentioned is this idea that you can sort of trick yourself into not feeling as hot as you actually are Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting question for me of whether or not you should do that (laughs) right because you know with especially being eating the way we do that's just a a way of thinking a lot that we you know we talk about anti-inflammatories we say you shouldn't you shouldn't mask the pain of something because if your body is doing inflammation that's generally a sign that something isn't right. And if, right. and if you can make that artificially make that inflammation stop and the pain mm-hmm. stop, mm-hmm. that's not usually a good thing, right? You're asking for a problem long-term. Yeah. I have a story about that too that we can talk about. Later <laughs> yeah. <on>, good. <laughs> we'll stick to heat for now. All right. So, so the question is, should you, should you do these things to trick your body into feeling like you're like, you're not, and the way, the reason this trick works, apparently I read this in, uh, Brian Powell's book, relentless forward progress, which is a good, good book on ultra running in general. Um, that heat or cold that's applied near your head, basically your body senses that as general coolness. Right. So that's why putting ice in your hat, like a lot of ultra runners do, uh, putting a towel around your neck, like I did during my 100 as well. In fact, I got one that was like a, I don't know, liquid or heat activated towel that actually <laughs> cooled, right? It, it right. somehow makes things cooler than they are. I don't know how that works. Um, but wear that around your neck and from the neck up, you can, you can kind of convince yourself that you are cooler than you think. And and the reason to do this is because your body at some point when it is overheating will shut down. Just like if you don't have enough sugar, enough glycogen left in your Mm -hmm. muscles, Mm -hmm. uh, it will shut down to preserve its own, you know, the brain preserves its own function when it, when it shuts you down before you're completely out of glycogen. Very similar with the heat. It'll shut down. You won't be able to go anymore, but doing something like this, cooling your head down, cooling your neck down. You can actually keep yourself moving even when your body temperature is still that hot. Right. So uh, it's an interesting question. You said the towel thing. Uh, I've heard that – I've read actually that the drinking cold water has such a – or cold anything, uh, very, very minor impact on heat. A lot of people think that you can lower your body temperature by drinking cool stuff. You really can't. It doesn't – it does almost nothing apparently. Uh, but it mentally, psychologically, it can – 
Yeah, really I, I guess it's probably a very similar thing to mm-hmm. this, that yeah. going through your throat does a, does a nice trick on you. Right. A way to really actually do it is if you have a way of submerging yourself in like a mm-hmm. cool lake or submerging yourself in an ice bucket, which I think Scott Jurek mentioned in uh, in his book, Eat to Run, no, Eat and Run. Um, right, at Badwater. Yeah, that he had a, this tub of ice that he would get into to actually lower his temperature. And I've heard ultra runners talk about if there's like a river on a loop course, Agreed, you can get in that yeah. every time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's, as far as I know, it's like, the best possible way to manage heat, that's it. Actually lower your body temperature when you can. Mm-hmm. The way that I did this during my race was started to realize that running three miles in the heat and then stopping was causing problems for me. That So basically what I what I did was just not let myself run for that. Don't let the temperature creep up that high. So mm-hmm. take these forced walk breaks every mile or something just so that you kind of short circuit the process before it gets too high and hopefully kind of stabilize things. So that's what I did. That's what this submerging in water would do. But uh, I don't know. I mean, what's what's your take on this tricking your body idea? Yeah, you know, I think I think you're right. I think it's a delicate balance to to take, or a delicate line to balance on, or whatever the saying, whatever the saying is. You know, I think in Pretty my sure case, it's not that one. <laughs> in my case, um, you know, it it was hot. It was uncomfortably hot. Um, it wasn't. I wasn't risking life threatening overheating. I don't think uh, so. To to do anything to make myself uh, mentally feel more comfortable, mm-hmm. I think um, was was something that I should have I should be doing right. So if if it had gotten really hot and I was getting the shakes or the chills or something like that, then I think um, you know then I, I probably you don't want to risk anything beyond that. Um, but unless was, you're unless you're about to win your first ultra that's that's my concern win, right, is that right, i feel I mean, like we, you can we, easy we, get sucked into it right exactly and that's what makes it so delicate you right. know or the the lines within or whatever it is um, <laughs> leave that stop. leave that alone okay. <laughs> forget that line no but you know but i think for me I, it was more uh, psychological if i could just keep myself as comfortable as possible because at that point you know it was six hours in and, and you're beginning to get fatigued and, and you're get you know anything anything you can do to keep yourself comfortable is is something uh that is good as long as it's not life-threatening yeah i think that's that's that is the answer i mean that's that's how you do it. and i think chances are even if you're tricking your brain into thinking you're a little cooler than you are you're going to be experiencing other symptoms of the heat i would imagine sure um but yeah i think that that's always my fear like what if what if things were happening really well and you just got caught up in it and just couldn't get used to it. I, I don't have that with running. Like I, I've never been in a running situation where I'm just dying to like push the limit harder and harder <laughs> at that point. In every, I mean, I don't know, but I think there are people like that and there are people who will yeah. pop ibuprofen throughout an ultra because especially if they're like in contention of winning and that's what they do. Right. Then, then yeah, I mean, your chances are you're going to do that way longer than someone else mm-hmm. like us. Who's, you know, more, a little more cautious about it would, uh, so I think that's the answer. But uh, anyway, those are some tricks for, for tricking your brain if you're if you're up for that. <laughs> um, so I don't know what else about heat, Doug. Any any other tips? I mean, run in the morning is an obvious one. If it's just general training, not race day, but running in the morning, running at night, certainly ways to limit the heat. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I, both running groups that I've or not both, but some of the running groups that I've done, Oklahoma City and Miami, they traditionally run in. Miami does mornings because it gets hot there. Oklahoma City deals with, they run at 3 o'clock, but now they're thinking maybe they should run earlier. Mm-hmm. So like, certain, depending where you are, certainly had, like where we are, I don't think it matters that much. I don't mind running in the in the mid part of the day here because it only gets up to, I mean, maybe really hot day, 90, 95. But mm-hmm. for, for 30 minutes in that, you're, you're going to be fine. Right. Yeah, you know, I think uh, what you talked about, I'm 
keeping the heart rate down. So doing anything you can do to do that. So focusing on your breath, if that helps, or taking walk breaks, you know, um, those types of things. And then and staying hydrated is, is huge. If you're doing a, a longer run, um, and you know, just monitoring how much how much liquid you're you're putting in, and and for me with that, uh, for a race like this, it also meant supplementing that liquid uh, with with salt. Yeah. Um, so I wanted you to talk more about that. Yeah. So salt, uh, you know, a lot of goos and gummies and those types of things and energy drinks have some electrolytes in them, but they don't necessarily have enough salt, uh, mm-hmm. that what you need. Um, and, and when you're sweating a lot, when you're sweating as much as I was, um, and there are a lot of theories and a lot of controversy around the subject, uh, but because you can obviously take too much, um, mm-hmm. uh, but you want to have a nice balance of, of water and sodium. Uh, and so I was taking one pill per lap for almost the entire, the entire time, which is a lot. Um, but that's, it's not really that much. So it's about three every hour, every, no, I'm sorry, every two hours, three, every two hours. Okay. Um, do you know how much is in each one? I don't, I should have looked that up, but it's the SCAP brand. Okay. Um, if people wanted to look it up and I think that they recommend two an hour on, on hot days. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was about three every two hours. So about one and a half an hour. Um, and, and just drinking a lot of water with that. And, it helped settle my stomach. It helped. It certainly helped um, with a lot of the hydration issues that I think I have. You know, after Thomas Jefferson, I think a lot of the reason why I was peeing blood was because of dehydration, um, and so water and hydration was a big something I was really focused on uh, this week. And um, and to to be taking in that much liquid meant that I needed to be uh, adding a little sodium right. in there as right. well. Yeah, this is an interesting topic, and as you mentioned, we have different views on some of it. Uh, I don't honestly know what my view is on it. I mean, I, I've read some different theories, and some of them are appealing to me mm-hmm. if they work, and I don't know that for that, I don't have that much experience to know if they do work. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a lot of, like, kind of, I think what your theory is maybe, or, or what you've talked about a lot is drinking to thirst and not drinking anymore, that your body naturally regula- regulates how much you right. want. The idea you... is that if you are drinking truly to thirst, then sodium becomes much less an issue your body knows how to regulate sodium when you're within the normal range the drinking to thirst range it just mm-hmm. knows what to do so the guy who put this theory forth uh his name's tim noakes wrote a book called waterlogged and has a couple articles or i don't know if he wrote them or i think they wrote them about his theory on irunfar.com mm-hmm. um so th- i mean that's that's the theory they even in those articles they kind of question it and somebody says well yeah he did the drinking to thirst thing still noticed a tremendous benefit when he ate the salt in addition to right you know just the natural salts that were in whatever he was eating mm-hmm. uh, i really like mike arnstein's approach which is to let your let your tongue let the taste buds be the regulator of how much sodium you're, in, you're taking in mm-hmm. so if you're concerned about taking too much or too little sodium you don't put it in cap form where it will bypass that nice built-in feedback mechanism we have but actually dump the salt tablet into your drink right. so that you can you, you know your body has a, generally under most circumstances and i don't know if if ultra running is considered one of these circumstances that might be too extreme i don't know uh but under normal circumstances your body is really good at telling you what it needs mm-hmm. and and well if if salt tastes terrible to you that means you don't need any more salt yeah 
But like I said, with an ultra, I don't know for sure that our body is, is built to do 100 miles. I mean, I think that's kind of a right. right. Even if you believe the persistence hunting thing, that's that's probably not more than a 10k at any one time. Right. So, you know, I, I could I could be convinced that this is different than that. That maybe you can't yeah. rely on your body's feedback at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that just from my experience with with previous ultras, it's never I've never really been able to dial in my hydration, and I've always been this guy who, in general, thinks that my body's going to regulate everything from from the supplements I take on a day-to-day basis to um, to during a race and drinking and, and sodium and, and that that type of thing, um, and so I've never been all that focused on how much water I'm like I'm, I'm taking in and, and certainly not much how much sodium. Um, but this race, I you know I was really strict about continuing to drink water even through the night, um, and I made sure that if I showed up you know that my crew would would fuss at me if i hadn't had much water Mm -hmm. um and and i was taking sodium almost every single lap um and it worked really well so Mm -hmm. you know i i I kind of after such a disaster of a race at my last one the 100k um i think that to to have this one go so well demonstrates that that maybe for me anyway that my body wasn't quite giving me the signals that i needed right um, right to self-regulate yeah, that's good. And I mean, I think that's there's something you said for just racing often and doing tests like this often because you find something that does work and then, then you can stick with it. So now you'll know, at least for this type of conditions, that you know what it takes, how much you need mm-hmm. to handle it. And uh, I should also mention that the bottle I was using was a small bottle. It was a 10-ounce bottle, so not a full-size uh, handheld bottle. Okay, yeah. right. So when I trained for my 100, I got way more into this nutrition stuff really out of fear than any than I ever had before. Like with marathons, I thought like, you know, just you just do what you can. You look at some guidelines. But with a hundred, I was you know actually scared of what would happen if it didn't go well. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I plan, I tried all the stuff, and then I came across this waterlog theory, and that kind of threw a wrench into things. But uh, that's that's a great reason to do a race. Like if you're just a runner and you want to, I don't know, just want to have the reason to think more about nutrition, do something that scares you, and and it kind of makes you think about it a lot harder. So what I did was was knew what range I had the theory said I should be in and what I had trained with and that had kind of worked. I mean, I did a thing where I went out on a two hour run with no water at all to train myself to, or to, to figure out exactly how much water I lost, how much weight is lost. Right. You can very easily convert that into cups of water mm-hmm. and you can so, see so what you, you measure. The way you do that is you weigh yourself before you run and then you run with nothing, adding no water or food, right? Right. Exactly. And you weigh yourself again. Yep. It's, which means you also can't go to the bathroom or anything during right. that period. Which and that you, would mess it up. Yeah. And then you assume that that's the way you sweat it out. Yeah, and I mean, I guess there's some energy, minute amount of weight loss that happens, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's significant compared to the water loss. So yeah, you can figure out exactly what you lose under certain conditions. Uh, I don't know if that, I don't know how repeatable something like that, that is. Like if you do that 10 Saturdays in a row uh, in similar similar temperatures, do you get the same result every time or close to the same? I, I don't really know. I have only done that one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can figure out exactly how much water you are theoretically losing and then say, okay, so I need to replenish that much per hour if I just want to maintain hydration level. So I did that. And I got a number. I forget exactly what it was. But uh, then I came across the waterlog thing. So my when I went into the 100, it was knowing that this was my range, but also thinking that drinking the thirst was something I would prefer to do. So I, I kind of said, I'm going to drink when I'm thirsty. Uh, not going to be super strict about, like, like Tim Noakes basically says you should you should drink with pouches closed not resealable pouches so that when you're thirsty you open one up and you drink water <laughs> so that you're not just casually mindlessly taking sips mm. of your water bottle because it's there so i wasn't super strict about that but i was just saying i'm going to try to pay attention am i actually thirsty 
And then I'm also going to say how much am I drinking per hour, just in case it were to fall way shy of this number. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I would know that maybe this time I should have a little bit more, even when I'm not quite thirsty. So that was my strategy. Yeah, uh, worked worked well for me, but it sounds like uh, sounds like this worked for you too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I, you know, it's one of those things that you just have to experiment with over time and see kind of what works for you and what range your your body naturally falls to. I will say that uh, at the heat of the day, so maybe three o'clock in the afternoon or something. Um, I had one little thing of coconut water in the cooler and, and Katie asked if I wanted it and I was like, I don't know, not really. And she's like, well, just take a sip. And I took a sip and it was like so good. And I chugged <laughs> yeah. the entire thing. <laughs> just like within a matter of a second, she's like, oh, I guess you wanted that. <laughs> it was cold and it was... Yeah, a little bit of sugar, a lot of electrolytes, electrolytes yeah. and stuff in there and it just tasted it is so delicious. good. That is true. Coconut water is delicious in hot weather. Mm-hmm. I just thought of one more tip that I will add before we sign off here. And it's along the same lines of like your body doing what it's supposed to do. And I don't know for sure that it's true, but I have heard several people say it when I've tried it. I haven't tried it in super hot days, so I don't know. But they say if you go out running in a regular cotton t-shirt instead of a running shirt, mm. you'll when you, you'll sweat through soon. So ideally is run with no shirt on if you can do that, if, if you're not concerned about the sun and all that. If you're not a woman, uh, you run with no shirt on and then your body is doing what it's supposed to do. You sweat, evaporation causes cooling, and you are cooled by that. So if you wear a shirt over that, you're you're really kind of messing up that process in a major surface area way on your body. Uh, but if you if you wear a cotton t-shirt, you'll very soon soak it through, and then it'll stick to you. And you're basically then in contact with this with this moisture that is evaporating and cooling you. Uh, in the same way, sort of that these that all the fancy shoes have actually made us get hurt more often. <laughs> fancy running clothes probably are are not cooling us as well as they should because they wick that moisture away from your body. Mm-hmm. So while it's a little bit more comfortable, maybe maybe you don't smell as bad, and even that I don't know. <laughs> um, it's it's not letting your body really cool the way it's supposed to because it takes that moisture away from your body. Uh, eventually, I mean, if you get hot enough, you're going to soak through one of those things too. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting tip, and I've heard some ultra runners. I wish I knew the exact trick here you can probably google it and find out but people wear a technical shirt or a a cotton shirt under their technical shirt or something to kind of make this effect happen on the hottest of days they'll wear two shirts and it ends up working better than if they were just wear one Hmm. but i forget the order of the shirts or what exactly they wear but you might be able to find that if you look it up yeah yeah you're smirking over there (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know i just uh you're thinking i want to raise what what do i need to listen to you for (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i think um you know, I think it's that's just like um, the bandana effect or the towel effect. You know, you're tricking your body into something that, that may be making you more. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's tricking. What to wear a, a cotton t-shirt? No, no, no. The uh, the tech, technical shirt. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and on a, on an hour long run, on a half hour workout, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter at all. Whatever's going to make you the most comfortable, I think. Yeah, um, certainly. But, but for a super hot day, if that's your obstacle, is it's way too hot for me to train. Mm. Uh, I think the best thing you could do, if you if you must wear a shirt while you run, which you probably should, um, <laughs> not everyone. I what mean, if you have some chiseled body like you, Matt, you know, then you don't like showing that up. I don't actually. No, <laughs> I, I like to keep that to myself. Um, I th- I think the best thing you could do is pre-soak your shirt in advance. Put on mm. a soaking wet shirt, cotton in cold water, or just I think I think either any water you need is good. Huh. Right, because then then you'd be soaked ahead of time. You, then you're yeah. I guess actually, then you're getting more cooling than your body is actually right. doing, right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, but I think, I think if if you if running in heat is your issue, 
try running in a cotton shirt rather than your tactical shirt. That's mm-hmm. my take-home message here. I like it. Sounds good. I do want to share my uh, my ibuprofen story. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I I haven't taken ibuprofen in a race since uh, my very first fifty k, uh, and but I had it. Actually, I didn't have it. My dad had it in his car, and he went and got it for me. About three a.m., four a.m., I started noticing some terrible, terrible chafing. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I've never chafed. I've never chafing has never been a huge problem of mine. Uh, and certainly not like this. And it wasn't, it just kind of came on. And once it happened, it was like, no matter how much lube I was shoving down my pants, it was like, <laughs> didn't matter at all. And, and that was the kind of pain that, um, I didn't mind taking Advil for it right. because it, it wasn't telling me, to, I mean, it was telling me to stop moving for sure, but it wasn't going to kill me. Uh, but it was so incredibly uncomfortable. Really? And did that help? That oh, yeah, sort of thing? it helped okay. big time. Yeah. I took one and I one at, 3 a.m. and then a couple hours later, I took another one. And uh, that's like, funny. I, I never think of that as treating like surface level pain. But I yeah. guess I guess inflammation is inflammation, and that that yeah, do it was it. actually like I mean I don't know how much detail we want to go through here, but the the chafe was like welted up, like the skin oh, was just man. it was okay. really really nasty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> after every lap, I would just stick my hand in a big jar of gasoline. Nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good. So anyway. Anyway, yeah, I mean, ibuprofen, I don't know. I, th- I carry some dangers with it besides just masking the effect, right? There are actual problems it can do to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you're taking many, many ibuprofen throughout a 100-miler, could potentially be an issue. I think it's pretty well known that that it's is. also liver issues or something, kidney issues. Yeah, something like that. Um, I don't know which one particularly it is. But they said for a while that acetaminophen, I think, which was Tylenol, was okay for runners to do during a marathon. Then they said that it wasn't. So I don't know. I, I try as much as I can to stay away from that. I think I took one ibuprofen during my 100 at some crucial time. I think it was like 5 a.m. been running mm-hmm. for, I guess, 23 hours or something. And it really helped a ton. I mean, it just felt suddenly so. <laughs> it was like it was like drugs. I mean, it was like yeah. not that I've done any drugs, really. I haven't. <laughs> I, I honestly haven't done any drugs. Um, but it was it was just like suddenly you just feel great and like you're just happy and nothing hurts anymore and then after 40 minutes it wears off and it all right. hurts again right. so in which case you could just take another one if you wanted but yeah. i didn't but anyway i feel like that's not fair because people who win races like if you're willing to just take ibuprofen the entire race you're <laughs> at a tremendous advantage i mean yeah right because after 70 miles it everything just starts hurting really badly and if you're popping ibuprofen the entire time uh-huh. you probably stave off a lot of that so i think i think it should be outlawed Ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess do. so. I mean, but everyone has the opportunity to take it. See, so that's the thing. Like, there yeah. should be like a natural running category. Like, there's mm. natural bodybuilding where they don't use steroids. Did you see that Washington uh, or the um, Wall Street Journal article that was going around a few months ago about um, smoking weed as a as a? I think you sent it to me, and then it said I had to actually subscribe oh, right. to read it, and no, I just didn't do that. Yeah, it was like a performance enhancer um, for ultra marathons. That, that these endurance athletes were. Getting performance and enhancing benefits yeah. from, from from pot. I mean, I mean for the same shocking. reason, I think yeah. for like a, you know, mass pain a little bit. And right. Yeah. Mellows you out, dude. <laughs> Not endorsed by no Radio. Really. <laughs> Tart cherry juice endorsed, however. Tart cherry juice. That's that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think we've gone on extra long today, uh, but hopefully that's all right. And uh, I don't know. I've got I've got nothing else to say. Congratulations! That's awesome. You want to race? I want to race. Thanks, Matt. I really <laughs> appreciate it. And I'm, I'm 
I'm glad that I did not let down all of the listeners. I am too. That would have been a letdown. But you, you guaranteed and you came through. Yeah. And then you did it one better yeah, and you every, won. Every, every time I have a big goal, I just need to guarantee I it. I think you do. Podcast. Financial goals, relationship goals, whatever you've got. <laughs> yeah. Come on here, make guarantees. Perfect. And we'll be your accountability partners. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's enough. Uh, thanks for listening to us. We'll, we'll be back soon. All right. All right, bye.